This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. While you're here, please make sure to like and subscribe, hit the red button. And if you're listening to this on podcast, please make sure to leave a review as this allows my content to get in front of more people. And thank you for that. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition. I focus on getting to root cause healing, and that oftentimes starts with the Carnivore Cures meat only elimination diet. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Scott Mislinski. For most of you, you know him as the host of the Carnivore Cast podcast. As a host of the Carnivore Cast podcast, Scott Mislinski dives deep into the carnivore diet and lifestyle by interviewing doctors, researchers, and long term carnivores who have overcome a variety of diseases and conditions. Scott has been carnivore plus some introduction of carbs for the last four ish years, and he now focuses on. Also, resistance training, bodybuilding, and just improving his body composition, energy, cognitive performance, and his sleep, as we will discuss later in this interview. During the day, Scott is part of corporate development and strategy in New York City, and he is an alumni from the Wharton School at UPenn. I've known Scott for the entirety of my carnivore journey, and I've really appreciated all the content he's brought out that has allowed me to be motivated and inspired and just to stick. To the meat only diet when I was healing. For those of you that listen to the carnivore cast, you know that Scott has introduced carbs and done it in a very methodical way over the years, and it's a very healthy way to do it. We talk a lot about that nuance and context and why he's done that, and whether it's because it's that he doesn't believe in meat only carnivore or that he just wanted variety. We get into a lot of that nuance. We also talk a lot about sleep and the importance of sleep and why he prioritized sleep and how that sort of changed the way he ate, as well as how he also performed in the gym. I've always really liked Scott because he is a genuine person and I've met him in person. He's just the same person <laughs> through and through. If you listen to our interview, we talk about how people will pivot from meat only carnivore and how we do it in a safe space and why it may be okay for people over time to do it, but how that's different from saying that meat only carnivore is not something we could do long term 
or that it's not ideal to do long-term. We talk about those nuances. So I hope that this information helps you to be motivated or to self-explore and to get you to your own root cause healing. Let's get right into the interview. Hey, Scott, I'm so excited to have you on my channel. You have been in the carnivore community, I think longer than I have. So I'm really excited to just pick your brain and chat with you about all things carnivore. For the people that are listening and watching that may not know you, if you can introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you so much, Judy. It's an honor to be here. And I always love chatting with you. Uh, For everyone listening, hi, my name is Scott. Uh, I host the Carnivore Cast. It's a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle. I've been running for about four years now. Uh, we just crossed over 200 episodes and over two and a half million downloads. Um, so thanks for everyone who's been listening along. Um, and it's it's been really fun. I've interviewed uh, experts and researchers like yourself, Judy, as well as doctors and N equals one case studies of folks who have overcome a variety of ailments and chronic conditions using carnivore or ketogenic diets. And if you can take us back into your journey as to, you know, what got you interested in carnivore, you know, what, what made you start the whole carnivore diet? Yeah, absolutely. So I started the carnivore diet back in 2016, fall of 2016, after hearing um, Amber Heard mm-hmm. on, or excuse me, Amber Heard, <laughs> that was a O'Hearn. Freudian slip, Amber O'Hearn <laughs> on, um, the Two Keto Dudes podcast. And also I had been following Ash Simmons, who's Carnivore's Creed on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, He has a great website and he's written a book on the ketogenic diet. Both of them had been long-term carnivores. And this was before carnivore was even in the mainstream at all, or even popular in the keto space. And I had been, you know, slowly evolving my own diet from a athlete's diet coming from a competitive lightweight rowing background in college to having a lot of digestive and metabolic issues coming out of that, doing that for eight years. So I evolved to more paleo and primal and eventually something resembling a ketogenic diet without tracking protein. I was eating during the day, like a lot of meat, usually fasting 16 hours a day and having some avocado, some nuts, some leafy greens. And that was about it. Maybe some almonds. And I heard Amber talking on the Two Keto Dude show about how plants are not only not necessarily beneficial, and a lot of the research that has really made made plants glorified vegetables is the same research that vilified saturated fats and eggs and red meat, um, a lot of the epidemiological studies. And then she even talked about how plants could be harmful, and they have these defense mechanisms through, through different uh, phytochemicals. Um, which can be really detrimental um, to people. And I said, that's really interesting. You know, I'm already eating a pretty high meat diet and, you know, I was looking to improve my metabolic health, my physical condition and my digestive health. And so I said, Hey, I'll give this a shot. I'll just eat as much meat as I want. Um, And there wasn't a lot of great research out at the time. There weren't great books like carnivore cure and um, a lot of the great resources like you, Judy, on how to do a carnivore diet correctly. Um, and so I made a lot of mistakes, but despite that, it, it worked very well for me. I had noticeable improvements in my energy, in my mood, in my cognitive function, in my exercise performance. Um, I gained muscle, I lost fat and, uh, all of that was doing a a kind of, um, subpar version of the carnivore diet. And then around the same time, Sean Baker actually started his carnivore diet experiment, I think a couple months later in January, he was all over Twitter, um, eating, you know, 
24 eggs a day and all these weird things. And I just kept it up and really enjoyed it. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts like um, Dr. Anthony Gustin's podcast and Sean Baker's podcast. And uh, I spent all my day listening to podcasts. And my wife, girlfriend at the time, kept encouraging me to start my own. And I said, no, there's plenty of great podcasts out there who have all the guests on that I would want to have on. But, you know, there wasn't a carnivore-specific podcast. And I really wanted a way to engage with the community and give back a little. And so I said, I'll give it a shot. And I'll start with three episodes. Um, And... It's just taken off from there every every week, a new episode, and it's been a lot of fun. That's amazing. I'm going to talk about the podcast in a second, but I wanted to talk yeah. a little bit about your story where you just said when you were doing the carnivore journey, you had some bumps in the road and some things weren't perfect. So what if, you know, so like a new person, brand new to carnivore were to hear that my guess is they would wonder what were some of those mistakes yeah. or some things you could change um, compared to when you first started. Absolutely. So a couple of things I was doing, I was keeping up my fasting protocol, mm-hmm. um, despite already being very lean, working oh, right. a really high stress job, 80 hours a week and being very physically active. So not an ideal situation for someone who should force fasting on themselves, right. especially, which is what I was doing. And so I was forcing myself to fast until lunchtime drinking coffee. I eventually found that I didn't need as much coffee, but I still was pumping my adrenals with coffee and spiking my cortisol. And then I would have a giant meal at lunch and a giant meal at dinner. And that really impaired my sleep. I found trying to digest all that protein and fat. And I was doing it with primarily eating like lower quality, but still, I I think it's still a good option for people on carnivore ground beef from the grocery store. Um, And the problem was I was eating all of the um, fat that came off of it. And so a problem, a lot of people have with grease and these refined fats or any form of liquid fat is it can really negatively impact your digestion. Some people, it leads to a lot of constipation and other people, it leads to the opposite effect. And so I, I was having a lot of bad feedback in my digestion, a lot of bloating, a lot of burping through the day and even through the night, very far away from meals. And I was also like, you know, on this giant salt kick, I was so, so just to summarize, I'm kind of rambling here. Um, A few things I was doing wrong. One, I was eating, I was fasting too much. So I would have told myself eat throughout the day, eat when you're hungry. Don't force fasting on yourself, especially when you're working a high stress job and don't use caffeine as a crunch to extend your fast. Two, um, I was eating only very low quality grocery store ground beef and eating all the fat that came with it. Now, if grocery store ground beef is what you can afford, that's great. That's better than 99% of foods out there, (laughs) but don't eat all the fat and try to include some other foods as well, some steaks and things like that. And then three, the third thing I was doing wrong is I was using way too much salt. So a lot of people under eat salt, they need more salt, they need electrolytes on a carnivore ketogenic diet, but you can also take it too far. And when you have too much salt, it creates this negative feedback loop where you're oversalting your food. That's causing your food to become more delicious. You eat more, you consume more salt then you need to drink more water because you're so thirsty from all the salt. Then your body expels a lot of that and you have increased urination from all the protein you're eating because you're eating so much more because it's so hyper palatable. And then you need to have more salt because you're, you're getting it all out through your kidneys. So basically your kidneys are working overtime. And if you have healthy kidneys, you'll be fine. 
but I was peeing like eight times during the night, which is not oh, wow. normal. Um, and I was eating like I met, I finally, Paul Saladino finally told me to measure it. And I was eating like 40 grams of salt a day, which is a lot. You know, most people it's on carnivore diet, you know, recommendations range from like four to six, right. sometimes eight grams of added sodium, depending on activity levels and hydration status, et cetera. So um, those are the three things I would do differently. Not force fasting, not eat grocery store ground beef and drink all the fat and uh, watch your salt intake. In terms of the ground beef, a couple questions. Were you eating other meats with that or on with other meals? And then if you were just eating the ground beef, what do you know what your fat percentage of that ground beef was? Yeah, so I would buy the fattiest ground beef okay. I could find. So it's usually like 80-20 is okay. what I could find in the grocery store. I would eat other meats on the weekends. Like I would eat a steak, but I was going into work and I had to pack all my food. So I didn't want to pack a steak. It was just more awkward. So I would get this giant Tupperware, like the big like salad bowl Tupperwares. And I would just fill it with like pounds of ground beef. I would cook it the night before it would be cold. And then the fat actually tasted delicious. It would basically like turn into ice cream. It tasted like um, it was so rich. And so I would eat all of that while at work during the day. And then how much of that ground beef were you eating, for example, during the day? I think I was eating three or four pounds a day on most days. Okay. And then mostly just ground beef. So no other. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I have found that a lot of people that are just starting carnivore or in six months, if they're still eating, um, eating carnivore or meat only, and they still have the runs or they're not doing well, a lot of times cutting the rendered fat would help uh, where it's just, maybe they're not producing enough bile. Maybe their liver is a little sluggish. There's so many reasons, or maybe they don't have the gallbladder, maybe their gut still needs support and they haven't tried any of the gut supports. And so for a lot of those people, if they just cut the rendered fat, so they cook the ground beef, they leave all the fat to the side, and maybe they add a little bit of butter or they add some other animal fat, then they're okay. But if they eat a lot of that rendered fat with it, then it'll just not do so well for them. So I I've seen that a lot. And, and I think long-term, if you can heal, you may be able to tolerate it a little better, but I also do see that, uh, there's a lot of people where ground beef just doesn't digest as well as if you're eating steak and it might be, I'm not entirely sure why, because I don't really eat ground beef as a staple that much, but it might be that because it's already so finely ground, we maybe don't chew it as much. And so we're not digesting it or breaking it down or masticating it as well. And yeah. so we just kind Very of awesome. yeah swallow it. But that's interesting. And then the salt, um, that's that's pretty high. Um, how did you kind of get there? Yeah, I was just salting my food to taste. I mean, it just tasted delicious. And I was eating so much food, I kept salting it. And then I got into this other negative feedback loop where I was like drinking ice water all day. Oh, right. And okay. ice water like if you want to have a horrible combination for your digestion, have rendered fat and ice water together. It's just not good because it, it just totally ruins your stomach. And so that's another mistake I made is drinking a lot of cold water, especially with meals, really just did not help my digestion. Yeah. And that makes sense. And that's when, if, I mean, if you think about room temperature, when you have rendered fat and if it's finally getting to cool down at room temperature, it solidifies. So if you're drinking the cold water with that render fat will probably solidify pretty quickly in your system. 
You could see why it may cause gut issues over time. So how did you then switch it? And how did you make, if you were eating meat only carnivore for a while, how did you improve that eating? Yeah. So I, I, like I said, despite all those mistakes, I still noticed a lot of improvements in my health and my well-being and my mood and my physical um, performance. So it was awesome. Um, over time, it was just a combination of experimenting my, with my own body and listening to more experts through podcasts, through my own podcasts, through consultations I was doing. And so I learned to you know, limit the rendered fat more. I learned that I do much better with steaks. I learned that I especially do much better with front loading my calories in the day, having a giant breakfast and then a moderate lunch, and then usually no dinner at all. Um, And that worked much better for me. And I would still eat ground beef, but I would get rid of the rendered fats. Uh, But more commonly, it was steaks. It was some organs as well. And yeah, I just found a balance that worked really well for me. You know, I experimented with higher fat, higher protein, and found what I eventually kind of thrived on. And that worked very well for me for a long time. And then I know that you started introducing carbs and you did it in a very methodical, probably the best way to start reintroducing carbohydrates. Uh, What made you decide to start adding carbohydrates back? Yeah. So I got to a point where I was doing well on carnivore, but some of those same symptoms I had at the beginning Mm -hmm. um, started to come back. And part of it was I was getting, I was building muscle And I was working out really hard in the gym. And so my caloric needs were getting, you know, to three and a half, 4,000 calories a day. And so, and I also found, you know, I I tried tracking my my macronutrients just to see where I was at different fat and protein ratios, which I always recommend people try for for at least, you know, a week just to see what's going on. You don't have to track long-term. And, you know, I consistently found that I could tolerate less than 150 grams of fat per day, pretty well. And, uh, you know, it didn't matter if it was rendered or not, obviously not rendered work better, but even when I was eating only fat from raw suet and the, the fat on my steaks, no rendered fat whatsoever, 150 grams was kind of the mark where I didn't do well. I would try these experiments where I said, I'm going to try eating higher fat for a week, for a couple weeks And I would go to, you know, 150 or 180 grams of fat, sometimes 200. And I would feel great for a few days. My energy was higher. I was more satisfied. It felt really good. I had less um, like sweating and high protein symptoms. And then like clockwork after like two to three weeks, every time I would start getting those symptoms in the middle of the night. You know, my last meal would be at like 3 p.m. And for some reason at 2 or 3 a.m when I was sleeping, I would get this intense bloating and burping and just couldn't stop burping through the night. And it was really uncomfortable. It was disturbing my sleep. And then I would go back down and I'd say, fine, I'll I'll stay under 150 grams. And uh, that was challenging too, because when you're under 150 grams of protein or fat per day, excuse me, um, if you do the math, that's like a thousand calories of fat. So I needed to fit the remaining, you know, two and a half thousand calories only with protein. If I'm eating no carbs, which is a really high amount of protein. Um, You know, if you divide by four, that's like 600 plus grams of protein a day, which has negative effects on your health too. It it can 
upset your digestion. Um, protein isn't really an energy source. It's a yeah. building block. It's a poor energy source. So we have to convert it. Um, and I'm not saying protein turns into sugar through gluconeogenesis. I'm saying it's a, it's an expensive process for your body to go through. And, um, you know, I, I would have some of the same digestive problems. I would feel tired. I would have to pee all day long because protein increases, um, uh, urination you have to expel the urea. And so I, um, I was having these problems and I, um, was thinking like, what can I do? What can I do? And I eventually consulted with um, Seamland and he, cause he had put out a lot of great content on sleep. He had this like biohack your sleep course, which I, I bought. And he said, you know, you should try um, having like a banana, maybe an hour before bed and, you know, see if that helps. And so I did that for like a week or two and it did help. And then, you know, I slowly, gradually, said, I'm going to start reintroducing other carbohydrate sources, because if you just look at the three macronutrients, I can't really afford to eat more fat. I can't right. eat this much protein and I have to fill it with something. So what I did is I, I actually followed the whole 30, um, diet folks have heard of that. They have basically it's, it's a form of an elimination diet. And then after the 30 days, you reintroduce foods and they have a system, which, you know, different people have different systems for reintroducing foods and I would argue there's a spectrum of like how conservative and slow you are versus right. how quickly you, you get foods back in your diet. And so I think I took something that was somewhat middle of the road. I basically took a single food, not a food group, but a food and said, I'm going to eat this one serving a day for three days. And then I'm going to go back to baseline for a day. And I'm going to record my satiety, how it made me feel, my digestion, et cetera and take diligent notes. And so I started with a banana, did that for three days, went back to zero. Okay. Banana was good. Did that with honey, then did it with foods like uh, Greek yogurt and eventually like white rice, other fruits, etc. Um, and it was a long time before I reintroduced any vegetables, actually. Um, that worked very well for me. And I was able to slowly get a lot of those foods back without having a lot of the negative effects I had with those foods prior to carnivore. So I think carnivore in a lot of ways served, I think I still had to go through the carnivore experience it still helps me tremendously. So yeah, that's, that's been my journey. During the time that you were only able to digest 150 grams of fat, did you try all of those common digestive supports like the hydrochloric acid, the ox bile, the digestive enzymes? So yeah, none of I was those taking things- butane HCL. I was taking ox bile. Um, I tried different brands. I tried different times of the day. I tried different things with my water consumption. And unfortunately it just, it wasn't working for me. I'm, I'm open to the possibility that there were other solutions that could have worked. And, and, and I'm not saying carnivore is not a long-term solution for most people. I'm saying it's great for most people. And if you thrive on carnivore, don't change. Like that's awesome. Um, I'm just saying for me, that's, this is the path I took and it worked. Um, but I, I really wouldn't recommend anyone doing well on a carnivore diet or an animal-based diet to, to change anything. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful.
And then in terms of your sleep, did it really improve with the, the adding of the carbs as well as your gut health? Did that end up sort of? Yeah, it it did and it didn't. (laughs) So I've always been a really bad sleeper. Um, and, uh, it did improve in the sense that my digestive problems went away. Um, but I basically like, think of the worst sleep you could possibly have. Like that's where I started Mm -hmm. and where I am now is like, I sleep really well, not nearly as well as my wife. She's like a genetic anomaly. She can sleep perfectly every single night anywhere, but, um, I'm really good now. And I had step changes along the way. You know, I used to get like, at least based on my aura ring, like eight minutes of deep sleep a night and, you know, cutting out caffeine entirely was a massive step change for me. That Mm -hmm. brought me to like 30 minutes to an hour a night of deep sleep. I'm an ultra slow metabolizer of caffeine. If you look at the gene, like the average person, caffeine has a six hour half-life. For me, it has like a 24 hour plus half-life. Wow. Um, so, so some people have this gene, it's like C Y A P one or something. Um, you can look it up if you have 23 and me or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big change. And then fixing this digestion issue was a big change. And then, um, you know, finding ways to make myself really, really cold, not just like cool, but like very cold at night was a step Mm -hmm. change. And then, um, you know, eventually, uh, I, I actually take medication for insomnia, Um, so that's been a massive, massive relief and that's helped a lot, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a journey. It's a battle. Um, I've, I've probably spent as much time, if not more that a lot of people have spent just on fixing their, their digestion on my sleep. It's, it's crazy. And then of all of the tools you've used, and thank you for sharing that, because I think a lot of people, one of their biggest issues is sleep, right? That's a big one where people struggle with that on a low carb diet. Sometimes I think it's because of under eating. Sometimes it's the stress levels, but do you think one of those levers were one of the most beneficial? I mean, do you think it was the caffeine, the insomnia support? The caffeine, I think, I think it's tricky. I think um, without fixing the caffeine thing, mm-hmm. all these other things wouldn't have really mattered mm-hmm. for me um, because I have that gene. I think also not eating my biggest meal at night, that was probably the next biggest factor that okay. made the biggest difference. So then what's the gap between you, your last meal and then going to bed? Right now it's only... Um, about two hours. Oh, okay. But I eat a lot of my food in the front part of the day. Mm-hmm. Like right now I eat 5.3 thousand calories per day. Oh. Um, and so like my first three meals are all over a thousand calories. My last meal before bed is like meal. It's like yogurt and it's like 600 calories. Um, okay. So it's much smaller and that's two hours before bed. And then the meal before that is like four hours before that. So a lot of the food is front loaded. Yeah. I I really like the whole process you went through. It's very methodical and it's very thought out rather than just getting on the internet saying, this isn't working. I need to just change my entire diet. You really like the the people like will go. And I think this is actually really smart. There are a lot of resources out there that tell you like, what are the least harmful vegetables? And it's great to start with those. Um, And that's a really good way to, to like, if you're going to reintroduce food, start there. And that's what I did. But you also need to like try things on yourself because some of those least harmful foods may be really negative for you. Like my wife, she can't tolerate cucumbers at all. She gets like itchy and all these weird symptoms. So yeah, it's important to try. And she would never know that if she's like 
today I'm eating vegetables, tomorrow I'm not eating vegetables. You have right. to try with individual foods and it's a pain, but it can give you a really helpful um, playbook. But even with the macros and what you did as a carnivore, I love that. So it's not that I don't tolerate fat, but you really played with the macro fats and knowing that, okay, I can get to 150. Let me try to increase that. And then you started noticing trends. And that's why I love when people document like a food and mood journal of what is affecting you. And that's how you were able to pinpoint that after a certain amount of fat for you, you're not able to tolerate it. And then just being realistic, well, I need to eat this amount of calories in a day. So how can I make this work? And that's where, I mean, if 500 grams of protein is insane in terms of, you know, within a meat. And, and so I think in that sort of whole deduction of everything you went through, I can see why then you started to add carbs back. And that's why I think it's really individual, not just, well, I can't tolerate fat. I'm just going to add in the carbs. It's instead you were very methodical about it. And then very smart with the reintroduction of what foods work for Scott, not just what does someone say on a graphic. And so I think it's really smart and I commend you for that. Oh, thank you very much. And I know Judy, that you have gone through this type of process with many people. And that's why I think the work you do is so incredibly important because I'm like this random guy who did some research and experimented on myself, but you're like a very experienced, knowledgeable researcher who's helped people through this in like a very clinical experience. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, talking about your podcast. So in the last four years, you've interviewed so many different people. What have you gleaned from the experts, the, you know, the average person that's just healing from this, any like pitfalls you see about the diet, any, Mm. the benefits, like if you could do sort of a summation of of the interviews. Yeah. So a few, a few things that come to mind. One is, you know, carnivore is not a magic pill. Yes. But I have to say, like the vast depth and breadth of success stories is really astonishing. You know, people who have overcome major depression, addictive behaviors, who have fixed PCOS and Crohn's disease and different um, joint and muscular issues. It's really astounding. So one thing I've always said in my podcast and always tried to impart on the listeners is I'm not here to proselytize a diet on everyone. I'm not saying you have to do this diet. Karma is the best diet. I'm trying to open people's minds up. So if you know someone has a loved one who's suffering from Crohn's and they send my podcast with the Crohn's survivor, if you want to call him that, or a doctor talking about Crohn's and carnivore to that loved one, they would say, Hey, maybe this could work for me. I'm really desperate. I'm in so much pain. This could change my life. I'll give it a go for 30 days. That's really been a goal of mine. And so I think what I've learned from just all the guests is there, there are a lot of different things that this diet can help with. Another thing I've learned is carnivore is not black or white, and there is not one way to do carnivore. Um, everyone's journey is a little bit different. You know, I'm not here to kick people out of the carnivore club. I'm not even in the carnivore club if you, you want to define it that way. Um, but you know, carnivore diet is a spectrum and carnivore looks very different. If you are, you know, Sean Baker and you're competing for world records on the concept to rower, um, versus if you're Michaela Peterson and you're right. trying to fix your autoimmune issues or, you know, whoever it's, it's different for everyone. And, you know, for some people just eating a little bit more meat and a little bit less of other stuff 
is like an awesome step in the right direction. And, right. and we should help those people. We should include them. So that's been a major takeaway for me as well. And I, I would agree with you on a lot of the levels that you brought up. I do, I do think that carnivore is healing for so many people. And then there's some people that it's a good piece to the healing puzzle, but it's not the end all. It's not what's going to finish the puzzle. Um, but I do think allowing carnivore and food to no longer be an issue of the puzzle or of the illness, then you'll be able to find if there's another root cause issue. And that's why I love it as an elimination diet. And then I agree with you in terms of there is no right way to carnivore. I think the part that I struggle with when there's like a variety is only because I think meat only carnivore will work initially as an elimination diet. And then you can figure out what do you want to add back and, and do it strategically as you did. But the part where I have a little bit more of a, I guess, an advocacy for more meat only is when, and I'm not even hundred percent meat only anymore. And I, I say that out loud on purpose because I don't want people to think this is dogmatic as I've healed. I've slowly introduced certain things occasionally. Some days it's only meat only, but so in that term, like I would not be part of the carnivore club either. Right. So I totally get that, but I I don't like it when people say you can't do it forever or you can't do meat Mm. only forever, or it's harmful to your health to do a ketogenic diet forever. And that's where I don't think that's true. There's some people that may need this way of eating because of some illness they had. So for example, Michaela and, or some mental illness or something where they need it, maybe it's a few decades before they could try to reintroduce anything. But once you fear monger the, oh, but I can't do this because it's actually harmful to my health. That's where I think it's the disservice, but from there it's, but otherwise, yes, it's a spectrum and people should figure out whether their personality is, you know, an abstainer versus a moderator, everyone should figure out where their carnivore realm is and what works for them and what will allow them to be consistent. I think that is the key. Um, But I just don't like it when it's that you cannot do this or you need to add the carbs. And that's the part that's hard for me, but it's just also difficult on social media. The nuances are always hard to share. Yeah. It's much easier to just yell at each other and say, (laughs) no, you said this, no, you're wrong. This person said this. Right. But yeah, I I completely agree with your, your point. Yeah. And then in terms of the science, when you talk to some of the experts, has there been anyone that's made a good point as to why maybe carnivore is not ideal? Or I don't know if most of your um, advocates are all very strictly carnivore. Yeah, I I mean, I'll be the first to admit my podcast is a little bit of an echo chamber in that sense. <laughs> um, I haven't had a lot of non-carnivores on. I'm trying to think, I think there have been some guests who have talked about having some other foods like Dr. Ted Naiman, he's not necessarily super pro only carnivore. And he talks about some of the reasons that may not be a great idea. So yeah, I I think I've had some guests, but for the vast majority, it's like carnivore all the way, (laughs) or, you know, at least keto for, for the vast majority of people. Right. And then from your memory, what would you say is sort of one like crazy healing story that really blew you away? Yeah. Um, so it's easy to jump on this one. I'm going to kind of cheat and say two. one is, um, and I'm really proud to say that both of these individuals had never been on a podcast before when I had Mm -hmm. them on and they were extremely intimidated and shy to come on, but they did. And it it was awesome. Um, so that's like my favorite thing. Uh, one is Brett Lloyd, um, Mm -hmm. who overcame major depression. He had tried almost every pharmaceutical intervention under the sun, psychotherapy. He had tried medical marijuana, And he had, it was just life crushing depression and carnivore 
helped him get over that. And he's like, if you ever meet him or interact with him, he's one of the most happy, grateful, friendly people you'll ever meet. And like, that was absolutely life-changing for him. The other is Dr. Nevada Gray, um, who's the paleopharmacist. She had um, Quadra Aquina syndrome, which is a rare, like spine related muscular degenerative disease. And she like couldn't walk. She was completely bedridden for like over a year. Um, She was in extreme levels of pain and um, carnivore helped her heal back from that, which uh, like I cried when I listened to her. I've cried with a lot of guests, but I definitely cried listening to her podcast. It was insane, but you know, I don't want to do a disservice to all the other people who've shared incredible stories. Those are just two that that pop. Yeah. And and I know them too, both. And um, they're lovely people. I, um, I haven't talked to Nevada in a while, but she has always been super sweet and uh, supportive. And I've always, always loved her. So yes. And her story is incredible. Um, And she's, I think over time has added back carbs and it just goes to show. So Brett will never probably, right. But um, Nevada has, and she's doing well. So it's just, again, it's, it really depends on the person. And, um, and that's where people just have to be honest with themselves and their situation to see, you know, what really will help them long-term because it's not a dogmatic diet and it's not, there is no one diet that will be perfect for everybody long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. I wanted to switch topics a little bit. So I know that you are really into bodybuilding now and, um, you, I could see it in you. So, um, you know, like that, I know it takes a lot of work. I I lift a little bit and I'm so tired after, and I, I'm always like, I'm just going to go back to cardio and, um, (laughs) and I get, it's not a beneficial exercise. It will help your heart health. But other than that, it's, you know, the whole building muscle is so much better for longevity, but can you talk a little bit about that? Was that a big reason why you, I guess, changed a little bit more of your diet? I mean, 5,000 calories is a significant amount. So if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's increased over time. I mean, I've always been interested in lifting. Like I said, I was, I was a rower. We didn't, Mm -hmm. we didn't lift weights at all coming out of that. And actually, um, I had a DEXA scan done, not right after rowing, but like two years later after lifting. Um, and I had below osteoporosis levels of bone mass, um, oh. like in a 23 year old, otherwise healthy man, I had like below grandma osteoporotic levels of bone mass on my DEXA scan and it was reconfirmed on multiple other DEXAs. And, uh, I was like 20% body fat at 155 pounds. I looked like prepubescent and, you know, I ate healthy, I, I exercised. And so I think I had a lot of, um, negative effects from the rowing mm-hmm. and from taking NSAIDs pretty much the whole time I was rowing, um, for my back pain. And so I had really low testosterone and estrogen, both of which are very important for bone density. And so like, I got very into lifting to try to correct that. Um, I also eventually started under doctor supervision testosterone replacement therapy and have been doing that for four or five years now, which has been tremendous and really changed my life. But lifting kind of came out of that. That was kind of my substitute for the rowing and also a way to try to get healthier. Whereas I think the rowing was kind of breaking down my body in a lot of ways. And so it's evolved. I've always like... I went from lifting a couple times a week to three to four over the course of like years and enjoyed it more and more. And, you know, now I, it's really, for me, it's, it used to be like, I, I hated the way I looked in the mirror. I had like very low self-esteem about my physical appearance. And now I'm actually like very happy with the way I look, which is great. Now it's more in our world. I always say this, 
and it's a little bit different if you're an entrepreneur, but most of us who work in office jobs or for companies, there isn't really like an immediate feedback and satisfaction of the things we do. That's something I loved in rowing. You put in the work, you see an immediate feedback. This is what I did. This is the result. That doesn't really happen at work. Like you're working in team settings, you do something. Sometimes it it results in something good. Sometimes it doesn't. There's a lot of politics. It's really murky. And you can't just go and like work really hard. In most jobs, you kind of have to like work with the flow of the company. Entrepreneurship is a little bit different. Certain jobs like maybe engineering are a little bit different, but at least for my job, it's very nebulous. And so working out and lifting weights and bodybuilding has always been that thing for me where I go, I go to the gym, I eat my meals, I lift weights, I get stronger. I can see that happening. I can see my body transforming. It's this addicting process of self-improvement. And that's something I, I crave and, and I get a lot of satisfaction out of. So that's really what it's evolved into for me. And, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, you know, we've talked about this before in the past, but yeah. I've been in an office job for a long time. And sometimes you don't see the benefits like of a project unless you're on it for years, or sometimes you don't even see it because you're only on a portion. So I completely get that. Whereas if you work towards something and then you see the benefits, it's like this positive feedback loop. And so I can totally understand that. What have you seen to improve your bodybuilding? Is it that you know, and I ask this for all the people that are lifting a lot and showing a lot of muscle growth, because this is not my specialty, but is there like, do you go, I think you just said four times a week, but do you lift the all muscle groups? Do you uh, focus on certain muscle groups? If you can kind of speak to what you have found has been the most beneficial for you to build mass. Yeah. So the most beneficial for me was fixing my sleep and being able to eat enough like that. I'd say those, like if those aren't going correctly, or if you have high amounts of stress, you're not going to build muscle. Like your, your body is just not in an environment that it needs to grow. Growing muscle is a very metabolically expensive process. Mm-hmm. Unless your body is very comfortable, it will just say, no, thanks. We'd rather store fat or not grow at all. So after those, yeah, going to the gym, a few things have been really important for me. One is having excellent technique and using like a full range of motion on every exercise. So a lot of people do, you know, quarter squats or, you know, they're just kind of like pumping out a certain range of motion, but it's actually, uh, you get a much better stimulus, less fatigue, and you're less likely to injure yourself. If you take, if you take all your movements through a full range of motion where the muscle can be completely stretched and then completely contracted at each end of the range. So that's one. Another is just following like a progressive scheme. So, you know, I, I write down my performance in every workout and then I try to add reps or, or add load um, over time. And then also just, you know, and applying effort on top of that has been really important. And then for me, um, you know, what works really well for me is just like an upper body, lower body split. Okay. Um, So I'm able to train, you know, my chest and my back on the same day. People in like the bodybuilding bro culture will train one body part and just hammer it with everything and then not train it for another week, like Mm -hmm. Monday's chest day, Tuesday's leg day, whatever. That's not really that effective. Like the research seems to support training muscles 
at least twice a week. And also if you're doing it multiple times a week, you, you're more able to perform and you're better prepared. So like if I was a beginner, I would recommend like full body because mm-hmm. you get more practice and also like your muscles can recover really easily because you're not doing that much damage to them. But for me, an upper lower body works really well. I work out five days a week. I take two rest days and outside of the gym, I, I live in New York city and I have a dog. So I walk like 12 to 15,000 steps a day. Okay. And then do you, you know, there's some people that believe in doing more reps um, and then maybe moderate weight. And then there's some people that recommend doing that failure. Like you lift to failure. Have you seen a difference for you? Yeah. So um, on reps, you can really research has shown you can lift in a variety of rep ranges, anywhere from like six to 30 reps in a set and still, still grow pretty well from all of those. The problem is you have to take those sets pretty close to failure to elicit a response. So if you're doing only 10 reps of an exercise where you could do 20 before you fail, Mm -hmm. that's not going to really convince your body to change. It's not going to provide an adequate stimulus and higher rep sets are a lot more painful (laughs) and discomfort. So to take, you know, a set of an exercise to 30 reps all the way to failure is going to be grindingly painful versus if you could only do six reps, like each rep is hard, but you get to six and then you're done. So, um, I like to keep most of my exercises in like the six to 12 rep range. And then occasionally I'll do some of the higher rep stuff, but always regardless, I'm trying to take reps as close to failure as I comfortably can, except on certain movements where I'll intentionally try to leave like one or two reps in the tank, like big squats or like a deadlift or anything like that. I think it's just not smart to take those all the way to failure. It's not worth the the fatigue that um, you get from going all the way. Okay. Okay. Are there any supplement supports that you use to help build body mass or even diet you think? Yeah. um, I mean, I take creatine. If you're, if you're eating enough meat on a carnivore diet, you don't need it, but creatine is the, by far the most well-researched supplement okay. in the world, uh, like thousands of studies at this point. It's good not only for building muscle mass and exercise performance, but also really important for brain health, especially in vegetarians. Um, and it's extremely cheap. You don't need to buy a fancy version of it. You can just get a really cheap bottle on Amazon and you take that every day. And so that's, that's really vital for me. I use magnesium to help with sleep as well. And just throughout the day, I supplement with magnesium three and eight. That's something I picked up from um, Dr. Andrew Huberman. He has a good podcast. He's been on like Joe Rogan and others. He uh, combines, I think it's magnesium three and eight, apigenin and L-theanine. Okay. Um, in certain doses before bed. And I found that to re- really be helpful for me. You can get all of those for pretty cheap on Amazon. You don't have to buy some fancy sleep product. And yeah, I, I, I'd say those are those are the main supplements I consume. I also am sponsored by a number of supplement companies. So I get a lot of their supplements for oh, free, right. like okay. Optimal Carnivore and stuff like that um, through the show. And so, yeah, those are the main things I take. Yeah. I, um, I've noticed that some people can take theanine to help reduce their anxiety. Um, some people can consider it almost like an adaptogen where it just helps your adrenals to relax in the evening. And so for some people, I'll just say, if you can get it in a tea, I know it's not carnivore, but you know, if they can get it in a tea or if they want to supplement, that's fine too. And that will sometimes help to reduce. I mean, we just live in a society where it's so busy, 
so stressful. I mean, the pandemic has inched up a lot of the stressors for a lot of people. And we just normalize this level of stress is normal. This output of adrenaline and cortisol, which it shouldn't be for our body is not equipped for that. And so I've seen theanine, not for everybody, but it does help for some people when they need to start to get in a relaxed state. So I could see why magnesium plus theanine can actually help with that. You know, as we're wrapping up, do you have any tips from all your podcasts, your own experience? I mean, you've been in this space for a long time. Like what are some tips that you would start recommend for people that obviously they're watching this and listening to this and maybe they're still struggling. That's why they're still listening to carnivore content of what can they do to maybe improve their diet or their ways to get into more optimal health? Yeah, I think um, they're already doing something great by listening to your podcast, Judy, and consuming your content. I'd say, you know, follow some of the top experts, people who appear to not be too dogmatic and um, are not afraid to change their opinions on things. That's something I really respect about you and are truly you see trying to help people and not just trying to get them to sign up for, for some subscription service. And so, uh, yeah, I'd say like continue doing that. I'd say, um, being part of a community can be really helpful for a lot of free communities out there. Like the Facebook groups, there can be some tox negative toxicity in those, but in general, it's good to connect with people who you can ask questions to and bounce ideas off of and feel like you're not alone because um, carnivore can, can be isolating in, in some instances. And then lastly, I would say something we've talked about on, on this show today is self-experimentation and um, trying to track how, how you do with things. Um, it can be very easy to jump to extremes and be very emotional with your diet. You can say, I tried a bit of cheese and I got unhealthy. Cheese is never for me. Cheese is out or something like that. I'm just pulling up a random example. Um, But if you do it unemotionally and you say, I'm going to have this small amount of this food at this time for a couple of days and see how I do, that can be a lot more informative. And you you don't have to necessarily play by the rules of this carnivore figure eats it this way. And this carnivore figure eats this way. Who am I going to trust? Who am I going to go with? Or am I just going to ask in the group and see how many people tell me that cheese is evil? (laughs) Like make an educated, informed opinion for yourself. Try to listen to some sources, maybe read a good book like carnivore cure, and then try things. Don't be too afraid to self-experiment a little bit and do it try to do it a little bit. You don't have to be a scientist. You're not writing a peer reviewed research article, but try to be honest with your results and and seeing how things affect you. I think that's so good. Thank you so much for that. I I really feel sometimes that people get, you know, information is so accessible nowadays. And so you can listen to so much content and at the end of it, some people will contradict one another. And then the response is, I don't really know what to do. It gets really overwhelming and debilitating. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'll sometimes say, If you decide that you're going to do carnivore, maybe even turn off all nutritional guidance until, and I know it's like, but I share that stuff and I I get it. And I really think sometimes we need to, so we don't overwhelm ourselves. And then we start doing our own self-experimentation because our bodies have its own innate wisdom, which can actually give you a lot more feedback than some guru on the internet that's saying you must do this or you must do that. Yeah. And I totally agree. And that's part of the reason why I don't share what I eat because I don't want people to go, oh, if Judy eats that way, then I can look like Judy. Or if Judy does that because she's a nutritionist, she must know. And it's no, my diet sometimes isn't perfect. My kid's diet isn't sometimes perfect. And 
that's where, you know, we, we have to self-experiment and I know it's easier to just say, just give me the list. Just tell me what I need to eat every day. And I'm not going to do that. I want people to think and use their abilities to figure out what is the perfect diet for me. And that is the perfect diet for that specific person. So thank you. Totally agree. And, and, part of what you said, I used to like hear and kind of wave off. Like our bodies have this innate, like, listen to your body. I was like, yeah, yeah. But like, tell me what to eat. That is so important is like, I can't underscore that enough is really, really important to like actually see how things affect you as an individual. Yeah. And your experimentation taught you that, right. It's you had to just, you hear high fat works. And so you tried it and it's like, well, it's not really working for me. So for you, you did that experimentation to understand, no, my body is telling me where I can thrive and what else I need to do. And so you bled the logical side of the experimentation and doing the numbers, writing things down, and then also just trusting your body. And I think that's where you are finding more and more healing. And that is perfect. And it's ideal. And I, I really hope the people that listen to this, that's what they're getting, not what is the answer to this way of eating? Because yeah. <laughs> we're so different, right? And it's, yeah, so. Totally. So, uh, where can people find you? And I, I'll, you know, I, I don't think I've ever thanked you, but when, as I was doing carnivore, I consumed so much of your podcast, by the way, and I would listen to it a lot. And you were one of my Thank favorite you. podcasts. So I just wanted to commend you for all the, you've even helped me along my journey. And I just wanted to thank you for all the interviews. And I know it takes a lot of time and people don't always see that. So, you know, I know you have an 80 hour job. And then on top of that, you're doing this podcast, which takes a lot of time. So thank you for all of the knowledge and wisdom you're bringing to the community, because you are truly a carnivore resource. You know, I sometimes get complaints that I don't interview only carnivores, but I do it (laughs) on purpose. So people find their avenues of healing, but you are a really, really strong resource in the community. So thank you. Well, thank you, Judy. That means a lot coming from you. And I was so flattered when you first told me that and we met at the Carnivore Conference in Boulder. That's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure knowing you and, and talking to you as well. So where can people find you? Um, if you have yeah. Instagram, Twitter, your podcast. Yeah. Just search Carnivore Cast on Instagram, Twitter, your favorite podcast platform, YouTube, wherever you like to listen and feel free to shoot me a DM, shoot me a message. I'm most responsive on Instagram and I respond to everyone. So feel free to reach out. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I loved our discussion. So thank you again for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Judy. Okay, guys, I hope that this interview was another tool in your toolkit for healing. And I hope it shows that meat only or carnivore is so different and you have to find the version that works best for you. I share that once in a while, I'll eat some plants in my diet. Maybe it's some steamed broccoli that my kids are eating, but essentially on most days I still eat meat only. And I don't eat the variety because I need the variety, but it's just to make it more practical with my family. And Because of the fact that I came from a disordered eating background or an eating disorder, I want to test to see, am I limiting myself because I'm scared and my mental health is scared of trying other foods or have I healed and I'm choosing now more than I cannot, but that I'm choosing to eat meat only. And that's a whole different place to be. And I always want to be improving myself. And that is why I share the content that I do, because I want you to be the best that you can be and not limited because 
I only feel good with meat, but that you're choosing to eat meat because you do feel your best. It's a slight difference in words, but it is a big difference in the way of your mindset of how you're looking at your diet. And my goal is truly that you find your way to optimal health and to get to root cause healing. I hope that this conversation shows you that you have to be your own best advocate and figure out what will help you to thrive and thrive for the long term. I know that a lot of you want a secret sauce pill from me of this is how much you should eat. This is what you need to do. Here's the next steps. And for certain illnesses, I can provide that or give that support. But generally, when it comes to nutrition and wellness, there is a certain amount of macros you may want to eat. But other than that, you have to find what will allow you to stay consistent and stay consistent for the long term that will bring you good sleep, good mood, good energy, good just life in general, where you feel happy in your own skin. And that is ultimately why I share the content that I do, because I want you to get to root cause healing. Okay, guys, make sure to like and subscribe. If you're listening to this on podcast, please leave a review. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.